0: modern leaders it's not just their ability to reason that we value or their eloquence it's more than their intelligence that we admire what truly matters is their humanity just like modern leaders the ls is human at heart every aspect of the lexus ls is crafted around you engineered to a higher standard the human standard the new 2021 lexus ls experience amazing at your lexus dealer
2: Today's podcast is sponsored by Audible.com. As you know, Audible.com is a provider of audiobooks, actually a leading provider of audiobooks, but you may not know everything else that they offer. So we are providing you with a free trial. You can go to audibletrial.com businessgrowth and explore on your own, see all the great content that they have. I am joined today by Brant Cooper. Brant is the author of the New York Times bestseller, The Lean Entrepreneur, How Visionaries Create Products, Innovate with New Ventures, and Disrupt Markets. With over two decades of expertise helping companies bring innovative products to market, Brant blends agile, design thinking, and lean methodologies to ignite entrepreneurial action within large organizations. Thanks so much for joining me today, Brandt.
3: Thanks for having me, Diane. Nice to be here.
2: Well, I am thrilled to have you here. Um, this is this is. I'm really looking forward to this conversation uh, because you you've got this this split between like industrial thinking and entrepreneurial spirit, and and I think especially in the times that we're in right now, it, it really matters. And I'm wondering if you would talk some about industrial-minded thinking and how it actually affects business growth.
3: Yeah, so the way I think about that, uh, the industrial thinking is really the technology disruption that happened during uh, the last century, the industrial age, was really about massive new technology that, you know, to this day has, uh, is having a ripple effect. So that type of disruption happens in the core of the economy. So it's typically funded by government entities and the new technology disruption typically emerges out of large R&D centers of the biggest companies in the world, as well as uh, research universities. And so we have this sort of this sexy idea about, you know, disruption and innovation happening with startups. And it's quite possible that the startups are the ones that take that new technology to the market and find the market fit. Uh, But the technology invention itself tends to happen in the very core of economy. That's where it starts. Think of, you know, the first computers where, you know, the huge mainframes inside of the largest universities and the largest corporations. And that disruption then starts rippling out to the economy. And so it starts with the buyers also just being large entities, other large universities and government and and other big companies. Um, But as that technology ripples through the economy, you start getting uh, more invention on top of the core disruption and new products and services that are being offered. And the ripple ends up out to the edge and That's where we are today. We're out at the very edge. Everybody's walking around with a computer in their pocket. And so most of the disruption that's happening in our economy happens out there on the edge, say Uber or Airbnb or Facebook even. Uh, It's the very end users whose lives are changed by the adoption of these products and services that was first enabled by that massive technology disruption but now disrupts on the edge. Now, the interesting thing is is that it's not technology disruption out on the edge. So there's no technology invention or innovation really that happened at Uber or Airbnb or Facebook. Uh, And yet the companies are often trying to emulate the innovation practices of that core technology disruption instead of looking at ways of, well, how do we actually do disruption? How do we do invention or innovation out here on the edge? And the practices are different. And so that's fundamentally (laughs) Uh, my my take on, on why entrepreneurs and even large companies today that want to be, you know, quote, unquote, innovative, they have to think of new practices in order to innovate out on the edge.
2: Okay. So talk to me about then the entrepreneurial spirit.
3: Right. So the entrepreneurial spirit is instead of thinking of invention, right, which was the technologist before, the entrepreneur today needs to understand their customers deeply. And uh, they can run experiments in order to validate or invalidate their assumptions. And they use evidence in order to make decision-making. And the reason is, is because the the consumer these days, the customer has so much information on products and services and the warts of companies, right? I mean, if, if a company mm-hmm. does something wrong, it's all over social media. So the old school branding went with that old school technology invention, uh, innovation. And so the entrepreneur's spirit is this, what I call the three E's empathy experiments and evidence, uh, which allows those entrepreneurs out on the edge to understand their customers deeply. And instead of worrying about say intellectual property, IP portfolio or whatever, their goal is to obtain customer insights And those customer insights are what drive differentiation and if you can capitalize on those insights you're the one that's going to win in the marketplace
2: that's so interesting i love those three e's (laughs) okay so i'm imagining this is why you think corporate executives need to think like entrepreneurs
3: Yeah, that's right. And so, again, they are still focused on innovation being invention, even if they're not a technology Mm. company, which is kind of funny. So if you're still a high tech company, um, those that are in, you know, Silicon Valley style tech chips, those that are into chemistry, you know, like a 3M or those that are in uh, life sciences. And so they're inventing new medical devices or new, uh, you know, new pharmaceuticals. Often that type of invention is still required. That's sort of the DNA of those companies. But most companies are out there on the edge selling to small businesses, consumers, or even bigger businesses. But when they're selling to the bigger businesses, it's to department level. And so they have to think more like this entrepreneur. And innovation isn't just about that invention. It's about understanding their customers deeply and capitalizing on needs that they discover. And, you know, I think I'm pro entrepreneur, I'm pro startup, but, you know, if those big businesses figure that out, uh, they've already got this huge execution engine, right? Um, So, yeah, it's interesting. I think generally competition is what leads to uh, uh, innovation and leads to uh, more customer value being created in the marketplace. And so competition is good and that's really what we've been we should be pushing for is startups versus big corps and big corps versus startups and, and all the, everything in between. Right.
2: Definitely. Well, and it's interesting because when I think of large companies, I think they are so hard to move, you know, there's so many moving parts and they're so set in their ways, but it's like a freighter trying to turn around in a river where small businesses can adjust more readily. You know, they, they can deal with change quicker.
3: That's right. Yeah. So the big businesses, I think the, the trick is, and we're starting to see some movement here. That's super interesting. Uh, This guy, uh, chief culture officer for GE, many years ago now, uh, I did a talk, uh, or he did a talk, and I I heard him say that uh, culture comes out of structure. And in other words, the way a company is organized and the physical structure, the hierarchy produces the way people, their people behave. And so if you think about the way corporates are structured which is really industrial age structure it's a it's a an extension of the assembly line and Mm um in some some respects it shouldn't even be surprising that they're not customer centric right because most parts of the organization aren't even allowed to talk to customers and it should be no surprise that they're not agile in other words they can't take in new information and change their plans because the plans are so rigid that you know, to change them requires navigating up and down this hierarchy and across all of these silos and it just takes too long. So they're slow, not responsive to customers, not agile, and it comes out of the structure. And so a lot of the teaching that we do these days is, uh, we'll set up accelerators inside these companies where they're trying to do something uh, something of value in the market, say some sort of digital transformation. And we make the structure of those teams very startup-like, cross-functional, self-organized, smart people that are trying to solve problems, right? Really empowered uh, teams. And it's it's so hard because these people are so (laughs) respectful of the hierarchy. It's really hard to get them to go off and do this work. But at the end of 90 days, you know, 90% of them will go like, I never want to return to the way I was working before. I never want to go back. Mm-hmm. And it's because human beings, we're wired to solve problems. We're wired to fail first and learn from it until we succeed. I mean, that's everything that we do as human beings from from first learning how to walk, to riding a bicycle, to trying to find a life partner. We always fail first. <laughs> <laughs> and and it's, it's built into us. And I, I fundamentally believe that if we give smart people a wicked problem, give them accountability in terms of how we're measuring their progress, but empower them to go out and use their creativity and their inspiration to solve problems, they'll solve the problem. We just have to get out of the yeah. way.
2: Yeah, boy, I, I, we should be doing that right about now with everything uh, that's going on. And- <laughs> that exactly was great right.
3: thing. <laughs> No, it's interesting because I've been, you know, sort of preaching this for several years now and the pandemic really brings it home. And the mm-hmm. reason is because there's so much uncertainty. So my whole yeah. my whole shtick is, is that you need to practice this entrepreneurial spirit wherever there's uncertainty because you have to learn inside of uncertainty. You can't just execute. If you execute in the unknown, you're going to fail. And so you have to go through this learning mode, which is what the entrepreneurial spirit represents. Well, so even wow. pre pandemic, there was uncertainty all across the organization, um, but they yeah. just wanted to execute harder work harder. Come on, people, we can mm-hmm. do it. You know, squeeze the blood out of the <laughs> turnip. But now with the uncertainty is readily apparent in the core business. And now they know they can't just execute through this. They need new tools. They need to adopt this entrepreneurial spirit to relearn what the market needs are, to relearn and empathize with even where their customers are at. Um, and so it's, it really has driven this home and it'll be interesting to see whether this mindset starts becoming a little bit, a little bit more sticky. Yeah,
2: exactly. I know. I, I sure hope so. I mean, this is definitely, it's like we had to be hit over the head with a wreck in exactly. order to, to realize we had to make some changes.
3: Yeah, it's true. It's true. I mean, and I think was, that the, the pandemic wow. is representative of the major change and transformation and disruption yeah. that's going on, not the cause of it.
2: Right. I do too. Okay, wait, hang on to that thought because I'm going to take a quick sponsor break and then... Um, I want to talk to you about that. Uh, The Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast is uh, happy, thrilled, actually, to be sponsored by audible.com. They have a great um, platform for audiobooks. They have thousands of titles of audiobooks. But you may not know all the other content they have. Uh, They have podcasts, audible originals, guided meditations, and so much more. I can tell you personally, um, there's a couple things that I just love about Audible. Right now, the guided meditations are pretty awesome. But the other thing is that all of that, that variety of content is available all in one place. So I don't have to go from one application to another to get the content that I'm looking for. And I think you're going to find the same thing. So sign up for our free trial. Go to audibletrial.com slash Get your free trial and explore. Explore the audiobooks, explore the programs, see all the different things that um, you didn't even know you were looking for. Today, we are speaking with Brant Cooper about the entrepreneurial spirit in business and really in, about um, how it affects business success. So, Brant, before the break, we were talking about uncertainty and, and disruption, and if If I heard you correctly you said that that the pandemic didn't happen like in spite of disruption it it is happening um is it in concert with disruption or because of disruption like why is there so much disruption (laughs) going on
3: yeah it's it's I, I I like to point out that in my opinion well so I call it disruption poetry So, you know, if you, if you read a beautiful poem, you can look at the words and even the phrases and you, you, like you, you rack your brain and you, you can't really try to, you can't really figure out what the poet was saying, but you can feel it. Like there's some, the emotion is inside of you and it's the magic of, of art really is that it brings out this emotion without your conscious brain being able to explain it. And I feel like that's what's going on in the world today. There's so much angst and anxiety and turmoil. And we can point to individual things and go, yeah, well, that's certainly the cause of part of it. Uh and but we don't understand, you know, we haven't connected the dots and we don't understand like why did we feel that way even before the pandemic, for example. And so people maybe look at the pandemic and go like, oh well, it's the pandemic, or oh, it's Trump, or oh, it's this, or oh, it's that. And 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 I actually think that the root cause of this feeling of disruption that we have is that we're in the midst of, of moving from the industrial age to the digital age or whatever you want to call the age that we're mm-hmm. in now, the knowledge age or the information age. And so the very, like, like I said with these corporations where the structure is the extension of assembly line, the structure is, you know, comes straight out of The industrial age. Well, we're not in the industrial age anymore. And so I think we're going to see a fundamental transformation of all of our institutions, of our big companies, our small companies, government, uh, healthcare, uh, education, all of this stuff is going to change. The very structure is going to change. And so we never look at our lives and go, oh yeah, we're right in the middle of change. We're, we usually think about it like, oh, <laughs> we're in reality, here we are today, right? And so it's hard for us to view ourselves in this, you know, on this curve of of transformation somewhere. But I think that's actually what causes the transformation. And so the our response to the pandemic, the fact that the pandemic is global, um, how it spreads, uh, you know, all of these, and actually how it will be cured or the vaccine uh, will be developed is all representative of the change that's happening structurally in in the world. And and so how we travel and how uh, scientists collaborate and how uh, vaccines, uh, the ideas of how to cure things spread, how one part of a company will look at genetics and the other will look at the chemistry. I mean, all of these things, both the positive and the negative, are representative of this switch from the industrial age to this digital age, and so I think it, even once this this particular pandemic goes away i don 't really think the feeling of disruption goes away and elections don 't cure it and uh, and you know there 's all this pressure on on the big tech and their monopoly status and even if we if we enforce antitrust laws that 's not going to you know, change this feeling. It's just, it's gonna be here for a while. And it breeds this massive amount of uncertainty. And so as human beings, as entrepreneurs, as employees in big corporations, we have to think about how we're going to deal with uncertainty because that's, you know, what is the, somebody must have said, you know, this uncertainty is the only sure thing that we have today.
2: Right. I was talking to someone yesterday who said, there's always been uncertainty. This is just different kind of uncertainty. You know, nothing was really certain before, but this is just so in your face and so magnified that
3: we, we, you know, we feel it so much more strongly. I think that's true. Right. Again. Yeah. It kind of really drives, drives it home. And, and, when, when I'm talking to entrepreneurs, you know, both startups as well as, as uh, big companies, uh, I want to emphasize the idea of uncertainty that you have some amount of control over. So in other words, we don't really have, we can wear our masks or whatever, but we can't really control when the pandemic will be over. So that's uncertainty that we don't really have control over. Acts of God, war, you know, all yeah. these other things. We don't have control over that. We can prepare for it. You know we can you know try to mitigate its uh, impact on our lives, and so that's important too. But but the uncertainty that we do have some control over. Like think of even what one would consider trivial in comparison. How do we manage people that are working from home now? Well, so there's a lot of uncertainty there, and we try to do it like we did it in the office, and that doesn't work because we were executing <clears throat> in the face of the unknown. And so part of the big, I don't know, the big aha, the big self-awareness aspect of this we we have to admit when we don't know because once we admit that we don't know then we can go into this learning mode and figure out what works and then when we figure out what works we can share it with others and it you know some of that uncertainty is relieved and we can feel good about ourselves having figured it out um and so there's a lot in our businesses that we don't actually know we think we know but they're full of assumptions and so again this entrepreneurial spirit is to expose those assumptions, test them and figure out what actually works out there um, and then start executing on what we learn works.
2: Well, it's so great too because so many times we because we're operating from a position of what we know and what we're used to, we don't tend to think beyond that and wonder, you know, do the what if, right? And and wonder about what else could be possible because we get so pigeonholed with this is how we do things.
3: Yeah. Yeah. That's great. I, you know, I think that there's, uh, you know, there's uh, agile practices, which most people have, have already heard of uh, by now these days Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's being expanded across companies. It's not just for tech or software. And one of the things Mm -hmm. I love about agile and I teach about agile is this ability to run experiments or the ability to put tasks to do items from the unknown bucket into your agile sprints. And so you're exactly right. If you just leave it up to people's comfort zone, they're just going to fill up their agile sprint with all of the things that they know to be true. And you know, the first way you strike this balance in order to tackle some of the uncertainty is every once in a while, Throw in a radical experiment. We're going to try something really crazy here, and we're just going to see what happens. We're going to see if there's some sort of optimization or some new feature or some new insight that we're testing that actually moves the needle of our company more than just trying to do this continuous improvement. And just by throwing that experiment in, you know, once a month or something, or once per sprint, whatever. You know, you, you're starting to open that gate towards like, okay, we can start exploring this uncertainty, and it's safe, and it doesn't it doesn't take up all our time, it doesn't distract us from all of the things that we know we have to do. Um, it just requires leaders to go, yes, we are going to take a certain amount of our time and do some learning stuff in order to in order to improve the company, and in order to maybe find a big win that's lurking right out of our sight
2: yeah i love that whole concept and 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 i want to circle back around to remote teams because who knows how long we're going to be working like this and some companies may decide just to stay this way and and whatnot but um if there's somebody listening and they own a business that now you know before everyone was in the office and now everyone's remote um and, and you said something like so, so important that you can't operate the same way you did when people were in the same physical space, but what um, advice would you give them? Like, how do they maintain their team and that energy and that effort from a remote standpoint?
3: Yeah, it's, it's tough. I think, I think one of the things that we've substituted proximity for for proximity gives us the the warm fuzzy feelings that our people are at work um and i and i'm guessing we really don't know how uh productive people are in the office like what percentage i'm curious what you think you 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 talk to you know thousands of entrepreneurs. I'm curious, like, if you had to give a swag, what percentage of an employee's time is spent on focused work in an eight-hour workday at the office? I mean... Okay.
2: Well, you're supposed to shoot for 85%, but I would guess that it's
3: maybe 60 on the high side. Yeah, I... I think 60 is, is probably even on the high side. I agree with you. And I think that it's, you know, it's just sort of how human beings' brains work. I, the, you know, I think it's literally impossible for people to sit there and concentrate yeah. for that long a period. And so they're drifting off, and they've got 12 tabs open on their browser, and they're going to the bathroom. And boy, it wasn't really that long ago, Diane, that everybody was going out for a cigarette break every 15 minutes. Boy, especially yeah. <laughs> especially in Europe. Um, and, you know, it's going, you know, wandering over and grabbing a, you know, another coffee, brewing a new cup, hanging out while the coffee's brewing, you know, the old water cooler. I don't know. I mean, I guess I just think that even that number is likely high. But the moment the people yeah. are out of our proximity, they're at home, we want to see them in front of that computer eight hours a day because <laughs> it gives us, again, we're trying to get back to that warm fuzzies that our people are actually doing their work. So I think that there's an evolution of this. But evolution number 1 is that we need to recognize that the situation at home is different for different people. And so, you know, the leader is sitting there in their in their Zoom call and they're in their dedicated office and the door is closed and, you know, the leader's partner is making sure the kids don't go into that, which is broken every once in a while, right? There's always hilarious videos uh, (laughs) on the internet where the kids make their way into that important uh, Zoom meeting. But anyway, that's the leadership's perspective. And some of their workers, their home office is their kitchen table. Their partner is also home working, needing to do their own Zoom calls. The kids are home and it's, and you know the dogs barking and you know, the mailman's ringing the door. But I mean, it's it's pandemonium, and so the first yeah. thing is that that leader needs to get empathy that not everybody has that that dedicated office. They need to understand what it is that the that the employee is going on. And so the idea for the leader is, it's not my responsibility to see that that person is focused eight hours a day. My responsibility is to help that individual be as productive as possible in driving impact on their job. And so what we need to do is switch to measuring people based upon impact, based upon performance, not based upon how many times they're doing XYZ in a day or yeah. how they're sitting in front of the computer. The second part of this is getting back to the agile. So if you, my recommendation is that if you have remote employees who aren't on a team, like their function doesn't naturally put them on a team that's working on a particular project, make one up, invent a team, put all of your remote employees on a team and ensure that those people are practicing agile principles like daily standups, talking about what they're gonna get done that day and what are their obstacles that day and uh, have them do retrospectives where they look back on the week and say what went well and what didn't go well. The team members are way more likely to hold their peers accountable to work than the managers sort of over their shoulder, quote-unquote, remotely trying to make sure that their person is in front of the computer. Mm. So if somebody signs up for the things that they're going to accomplish in a week, then you as a leader need to be less concerned about how many hours it takes them to do those things versus actually getting them done. And so if you agree that what this person has signed up to do by the end of the week is good, is good enough, is sufficient, will drive impact in the organization, then let those workers manage their day and their home life in such a way that they can get those things done to the best of their ability and allow the team members to hold each other accountable to those to those tasks. And and when I had a, a larger team, I've, I've got five or six people now, but when I had 15 people, we used to hold uh, weekly video calls where everybody had to get on the, a video. This is way pre-pandemic. Everybody would get on a video call and do all of their work with the video on. So it wasn't a meeting. It was as if they were, in the same hmm. office. And it was super interesting. The collisions that you would get would be similar to being in the office. So instead of one person thinking, oh, I need to send a text message or an email about uh, XYZ, they could actually, oh, the person's sitting right there. I could just ask them a question. And so it was super interesting that you could all of recreate some of that dynamic. What you don't want, in my opinion, is the boss sitting there watching all of that. You want those... <laughs> You want that team atmosphere where if somebody is, is not finishing their tasks or accomplishing their tasks by the end of the week, they, they have to talk about it in front of their peers. And, and again, I think that is a way to get people you know, functioning at a higher level uh, during the pandemic. So those would be my, my pointers.
2: Boy, I think those are great. I think it's so important to remember that you don't know what someone's circumstances and that while we're all in this pandemic together, we're experiencing it differently. And, yeah, and so people true. have you know, challenges that you don't even know what they are and the leader needs to find out. And, and as you said, help people, um, help them be productive in whatever environment they're in, you know, be understanding of that and there's gotta be some flexibility involved.
3: Yeah, Gary Ridge is CEO of uh, WD40 here in San Diego, uh, wrote a book and the subtitle was, um, don't measure my performance, teach me how to get an A. And I I repeat that over and over again and I love it. And I think it's more important in this pandemic. As a leader, what you need to do is make your team, you need to help your team become A players. And if they were A players in the office and suddenly they're C players at home, need to figure out how to get them back to an A. And it's not by, you know, hanging out over them. It's really Mm -hmm. by figuring out what drives them and what can empower them. Um, I believe, I'm one of those people that believe that that human beings want to lead a meaningful life and want to contribute to their Mm -hmm. companies and want to contribute to the world and they want to work. Um, And so... As leaders, we need to figure out what the obstacles are for those human beings to to be able to achieve that aspiration that they have.
2: Definitely, I'm with you. I, I, I would do the exact same thing, um, Brant, I, I really I appreciate this conversation. I think you've given us some great information and and things to think about. Will you um, let the listeners know how they can find you and and your book is actually on Audible.com,
3: right? It is on audible.com. I'm a big Yay. fan of, of audible. Uh, so Yay. yeah, I, I, I really encourage people to reach out. I respond to all LinkedIn messages or, or emails. So I'm at Brant at brantcooper.com. i Brant Cooper on, you know, the social media. Uh, I have a 10 year anniversary version of my first book, the entrepreneur's guide to customer development, which is it's sort of a high level view of all of the different innovation practices that I've been talking about, like design thinking and uh, rapid experiments and lean startup and those type of things. So that's available at startupbluebook.com and there's templates and videos that help people sort of figure out how to use those in their in their companies. Uh, And so those are all a bunch of ways. And I, you know, I've got a new book deal coming out. So if people want to reach out and learn more about my new book, uh, we're a year away, probably, but I'm looking for great innovation stories and and early adopters. Um, So yeah, I really just, you know, I I appreciate this conversation. And I encourage your listeners to reach out.
2: That's so great. I encourage them to reach out as well. Uh, And speaking of listeners, thank you for listening. Uh, And our sponsor, Audible.com, head on over to audibletrial.com slash to sign up for the trial. And hey, while you're over there, get Brant's book and check out the other content, you know, the podcasts and the guided meditations and all that stuff and figure out what you want to keep in your orbit. As always, uh, remember to um, or continue to prosper and be curious. And until we meet again on another episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, goodbye and good
0: day. Modern leaders, it's not just their ability to reason that we value or their eloquence. It's more than their intelligence that we admire. What truly matters is their humanity. Just like modern leaders, the LS is human at heart. Every aspect of the Lexus LS is crafted around you, engineered to a higher standard. The human standard. The new 2021 Lexus LS. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Me, 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 but also you. <laughs> the Pharaoh fast forwards his favorite foreign film. <laughs> Powder donut. <clears throat> okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the name and price tool from Progressive. Oh man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm going to need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus, the Bulbous Walrus. The name your price tool, only from Progressive. The owl a of the comatose Coxwain.
1: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law.
3: Welcome to Don't Retire, Graduate, the podcast that asks you what you want to be when you grow up so you can graduate into retirement with a purpose and a passion, whether you're 25, 85, or any age in between. Gain actionable financial and mindset tips from your favorite authors, podcasters, and influencers to help you reach that exciting next chapter. Listen now and start building your path to financial freedom and reframing what retirement can mean to you. This is your host, Eric Brotman, reminding you, don't retire, graduate.